0: So I plant, you know, half a row, first chestnut trees on the farm, mid April 2022. Well, our western edge is borders hundreds of acres of conventional industrial agriculture. Um, And this was the year that uh, he had planted, uh, let me recall, it was soybeans in 21. So by the time they harvest, you can't get in a cover crop then. Uh, So, right. Weeds and stuff have grown up in it over the winter and spring. So they got herbicide. But because it's to the west, the wind comes through and blows through our land. And so we got herbicide drift. And right, chestnuts had big old leaves. And they just caught the herbicide uh, and completely defoiled within like three
1: days. This is the Farmhop Life podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt DeRosier. On the Farmhop Life podcast, we learn what it takes to grow your own food from everyday people. Could be a college student grows tomatoes and salad greens on their apartment patio, a former VP of marketing for Del Taco now raising cattle in Montana, or someone who hasn't had a homestead in over 10 years. This show is aimed at teaching you what it takes to make homesteading work for you, that we all make mistakes, we all have bad days, but we can reach out and help one another thrive and giving you the confidence needed to go feed yourself. You guys moved there a year and a half, two years ago or so? Yeah, we moved in uh, November
0: 2021. Nice, okay, yep. Uh, Year and a half. We had spent the previous six years in Los Angeles, uh, so my wife and I we met at Virginia Tech, and we were when we graduated we were going to move to Texas, but then she got into graduate school at Pepperdine, and you know I'd asked her to move halfway across the country to Texas, so figured I might as well just go the other half, uh, and so we spent six years there, and. Right, it kind of stereotypically, we were thinking about it before, but you know, then the pandemic. You know, we got married in twenty twenty. You know, thinking about where we wanted to be long term, move back east, be closer family. Uh, so to, it just seemed natural to move on back.
1: Sure, sure. So, man, L A to uh, are you are you in like a rural part of Maryland or? I'm not. I've never been to Maryland, so I'm not really sure what the yeah. So, uh, we are technically rural, but,
0: um, uh, one thing I like about Maryland is it's, you can go from urban to rural very quickly. So, right. We are 15 minutes outside of the second largest city in Maryland, which is, you know, not huge at, you know, 75,000 people. Uh, but then we're an hour to DC, 45 minutes to Baltimore. So, like, we're not, out in the woods by any means. Mm. Uh but I also can't see my neighbors. Uh so for a lot I'll... of people that would be considered rural.
1: I I consider that rural. I can see uh I can see my neighbors right now over there. And if I had a window over here I'd see those neighbors. So yeah. You're doing pretty good. Yeah. One thing was funny is uh
0: when we were still in LA telling people we wanted to move back east and you're like, oh, we're thinking about, you know, 10 to 20 acres. They're like, 10 to 20 acres. You're rich. And I'm like, whoa, 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 real estate works completely different outside of Los Angeles
1: <laughs> than here. That's really funny that they have no idea of what the different markets are.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, they're the, the concept is just like, it's just like exponentially more expensive there. And so, even though they, They know it's cheaper other places. Like, they don't fully understand, like, so you can just buy acreage for, like, not as many zeros as, like, a two-bedroom house here. Right.
1: I mean, uh, last week we were, somebody commented on something on, I posted on Twitter, and then he said that you can get, like, five to ten acres for, like, six grand somewhere in Arizona. I, I can't remember exactly where, but, like, if you want acreage, like, for cheap, it's it's available. It just might not be exactly what you want, but if if you want acreage and you want it bad and you want it cheap, well, there you go. Oh, yeah.
0: There's, uh, you know, there's pros and cons to, like, every place, you know. Mm-hmm. You can't beat L.A.'s weather, but, like, you, you can't have acreage there. Like, it's
1: just not possible. Right, it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're unless you're spending someone else's money, right?
0: Man, I, I I just don't think it's possible. Like, even if you're a billionaire, just like the, like maybe five to ten acres out in like Calabasas or Camarillo, but like, right there is not just like twenty acres of available space in Los Angeles.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Getting moving from L.A. to Western Maryland, Western Maryland. Is that right? Yep. Um, did you guys like have a garden or anything like in L.A. Or did right when you got to Maryland, do you like hit the ground running or did it all start before that even?
0: Oh. Uh, well, to go like,
1: you know, to the beginning, as That's to it. say,
0: Uh uh so my granddad had as many heisers as, you know, we know uh they farmed in the Shenandoah Valley. Um but then my dad uh went to Virginia Tech and he became a bovine veterinarian. Oh. And after graduating he got a job in Maryland and that's what brought my family there. Uh and, you know, he was the only one in his family that, you know. Uh, his generation that didn't have a farm, so when I was in the second grade, we bought twenty six acres and uh he started a little beef farm uh, and that's a got that grand champion steer nice. diner uh we raised steers uh, sheep pigs uh, we also had christmas trees uh so like right just a little hobby farm, but what was funny is that growing up. I was always going to be like the city boy, like, you know, go off to college in the big city and do big things while my brother was, you know, going to go, go to Kansas state and study dairy science or Oklahoma state and, uh, you know, study animal science. Um, and then I ended up in LA, but when we were in LA, you know, I came across like the work of like Dave Brown, Mark Shepard. Um, Masanobu Fukuoka, just like permaculture, regenerative agriculture, you know, this was like 2015, 2016, uh, and it was really like starting to, you know, make waves in the media. And, you know, it just made a lot of sense to me, you know, as someone that grew up in the agricultural community that, you know, saw both the good and the bad with, you know, like industrial agriculture. Uh, and so then you know started a little compost pile in our little back patio, grew a couple plants, you know, saved a kumquat tree, uh, you know. So I was doing a little gardening, but like in many ways, it was just like you know, just a little hobby, you know. Yeah, you, I, you gotta screw get
1: around a patio in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, nice. Um, when you were saying. That uh, you were gonna be uh, go off to the city, and your brother was gonna go to Kansas State, was that was that something like your choice, or was that gonna be like that was chosen for you?
0: Oh no, completely my choice. You know, my my parents couldn't control me if they wanted to. Uh, I was always the the firstborn, independent. Uh, you know, thought thought did what he wanted. Sure. Uh, and it wasn't like, right, I enjoyed, you know, doing the steers and stuff, but it's like my brother was the one that was into the breeding the heifers. And, uh, you know, he he did all the sheep, all the pigs. Uh, you know, I was just kind of doing it. it cause like a, It was good for us, job, you know, taught us responsibility, got to go around to cool fairs and stuff. Uh, but it wasn't like, Something that I would spend my time doing outside of you know raising the steers while my brother was like all into it, uh and then now I'm the one with the farm, and he works in wealth management
1: <laughs> what what a twist that's pretty good, oh man so so you said you got into Mark Shepard and Gabe Brown and um a few others what. What, why, like what motivates you to do what you do and what got you interested in, in those, uh, people in the first place?
0: Well, interest in the first place, like I said, growing up in the agricultural community, you know, I saw like the benefits, but also like the costs, like, you know, When my dad would take me to work and we'd ride around to all these dairies, Western Maryland, PA, Virginia, like, right, uh, I never saw anyone, like, abuse a cow or anything. It was, like, right, their livelihood. Like, they cared about their animals. They cared about the farm and stuff. But at the same time, you know, I saw the industrial chemicals, you know, the manure bits, you know, these externalities that often aren't accounted for. Uh, And, you know, like anything, you know, things can be improved just because we do something one way, whatever it is, you know, medicine, county government, whatever it is, like, you know, that story of humanity is constant, steady improvement. And so when I stumbled upon, like, regenerative agriculture, permaculture, ecology, you know, whatever you want to say, these disparate fields that all kind of come together, you know, it just, you know, made a lot of sense to me, you know, as someone that, you know, does biology for a living and, uh, you know, can appreciate microorganisms as well as someone that has raised cattle. Uh, You know, like I said, we did the Christmas trees, so I guess we did a little agroforestry it just made a lot of sense to me to view it and the land and the water and the air as a system works together cooperatively. And then, you know, now I'm at the point that it just makes like, why wouldn't everyone live this way? Yeah. you know. Like you, you, uh, you talk to people on the street and they will be like, Oh man, I need to exercise more. Okay. Well then go homestead. Oh, I want to spend more time with my kids. Oh, okay, go homestead. Oh, man, I need to get outside more. Oh, go homestead. Oh, man, I want my kids to, like, know math and science, but also, like, learn practical skills. Okay, well, go homestead. Right. Right, it's just, like, I I don't understand. You know, of of course I understand, like, right. But to me, just living on a piece of land, making it your own, stewarding it, trying to take care of it you know building something that can be passed on to future generations like it just makes total sense like that this is what i want to spend my time doing and i can't imagine not doing
1: right yeah i uh i definitely feel you there just just planting so we we finally after a lot of analysis paralysis we finally have a plan for what we want to do, where we're going to put things here. We've been here; this would be our third year, start of our third year, and and so like we just planted trees the first half, anyways, um, this weekend, and it, now it feels like we take like we're taking ownership of like stewarding stewarding the land, right? if we're successful in doing this, uh, these trees should be here a long time, like after I'm gone. And so like, you're kind of thinking of like moving the whole the whole property forward. Cause it's like, there's, there's some vegetation. It's like kind of like crappy grass, but a lot of like really nice, like sagebrush, but that's, that kind of has like, that has some habitat, but it's not diverse enough and so, um, by planting trees and a couple other like layered, uh, uh, plants like below it, we're going to expand that system, uh, to do a couple of things for us, but also for, uh, for the property as well.
0: Yeah. I think you posted a, an interesting looking kids book that now I have to get this morning, uh, about like, you know, I haven't read the book obviously, but. From what it supposed to look like, uh, you know, showed all the life that a tree supports. Um, And like, right, that's, you know, tying back into, you know, what I said, you know, it it just makes so much sense when you Mm -hmm. approach it from the right way that like, right, if these principles can be communicated into a child with a children's book, Mm -hmm. like that's how simple and like straightforward it is when you can really get down to it. The tree supports life, uh, purifies water, it makes oxygen, it puts carbon into the soil. It, it really is a system that has evolved over millennia to to use every single product so that there's no waste. It's all balanced. You know that doesn't mean that you know there's not sometimes disease or pests, famine, etc. But like it, it balances. It's a weighing machine over time it takes
1: care of itself right yeah that book actually came from imagination library if you know what that is you just sign your kids up and you get a book in the mail every month for free okay
0: i do not know about that i will have to look into
1: that yeah it's uh yeah. it's yeah um dolly Parton started it and i think they get like a bunch of like w yeah yeah. So wow. that was, that just happened to be, uh, this month's book was, uh, I think that just came a week ago too. So it was pretty fitting that we were planting trees on the day that that book came in the mail. So that was, that was a fun one to read. Planting. I, uh, I remember Siberian pea shrub. Yeah. Siberian pea shrub, Rosa Ragusa, and then two different kinds of black locusts. So, uh, where I live, I'm on a hill and right below me is an irrigation ditch. Now I can't, I don't have water rights. I can't Even if I had water water rights, I couldn't get water out of that ditch because I'm above it. It's just their policy, doesn't make sense, whatever. So it's a pretty steep drop-off, and you could fall, I don't know, 30 feet into the ditch, like downhill. And so I'm planting this hedgerow. Sounds like similar to what you're doing. Uh, But mine's more to prevent people, like, falling into it and also create a windbreak and probably eventually noise as soon as like when the trees start to like leaf out cuz um it's not terribly busy where we are but you'd like to feel a little bit more of the country right yeah yeah
0: i mean so you're in montana right mm-hmm. so you know i i can't even imagine that total respect to you Like, right. I I have it easy in Maryland. Like, right. It's not too hot, it's not too cold. Uh, you know, it's pretty temperate here. Uh, but uh, are you in Western or Eastern Montana? Western much nicer, man. So, uh, I have to say Montana was like one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Uh, when we moved from Los Angeles back to Maryland, uh, when we moved out there, we kind of took like the southern route, forty to thirty to twenty ten. So when we were moving back, we had friends in Seattle, so we drove all the way up to five, and then took ninety, eighty, seventy, all the way back to Maryland. And we stopped in Glacier National Park, and you know drove through most of Montana. And yeah, man, that place is beautiful. Uh, but what what I was not prepared for was. Like, right, we were there mid-June, and we entered West Glacier, and you couldn't get to East Glacier, because, like, the passes were still frozen. Yep. And, like, intellectually, I understand Montana is North United States. Yeah. And that the Rockies are tall, but it's, like, it's mid-June, and it's just,
1: I can't imagine working that climate. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm not that high up in elevation. I'm only like thirty five hundred feet or so right here. But only uh, thirty five hundred. <laughs> well, I'm coming from Minnesota, so it's like a thousand there. And uh, but yeah, if you want to give yourself a little bit of an anxiety attack, look up on YouTube. Uh, so that road through Glacier, going to the Sun Road. Um, that's what it's called. It's really long. The Sun Road snow plow and so you watch those guys how they plow the snow up that pass that goes through the that goes through glacier those guys are nuts like they're like in like bulldozers trying to move snow around like at like a 45 degree angle and it's dude my hands like get sweaty just thinking about it
0: yeah like they it 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 takes a very special type of person to, you know, do something like that. Just everyone I met at Glacier seemed, you know, to be a character. And I mean that in, like, a very nice way. They were all extraordinary people. I'm just like,
1: man, this is impressive what you're doing out here. Yeah, some people are just wired a different way. That's for sure. But, man, even at 3,500 feet, your frost date must be, like, end of may, June uh, if I give myself a little buffer for like freak weather events, it's like June seventh
0: see like right you're talking about I can't imagine that, so like you you
1: really have to be on top of your planting, right, kinda, yeah, I mean, I should be better, I'm getting better. <laughs> Well, don't worry. I have to be better too. I, I,
0: you know, I've messed up so many, so much stuff.
1: We're going to get there. That's for sure. Uh, so in your, in your year and a half, uh, what kind of stuff have you started building and like what's worked well?
0: Uh, so, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is just maximize diversity Uh, with a focus on native species, so we have planted chestnuts, pawpaws, American persimmons, uh, blackberries, uh, honeyberries, raspberries, elderberries, you know, a gambit of flowers, uh, coneflower, black-eyed susan, Uh, we planted hazelnuts, tulip poplars, Uh, I got little mini black locusts going, Uh, you know, we're really just trying to black walnuts, uh, you know, as much as possible. Uh, And what has worked so far, uh, the chestnuts are growing fantastic. The pawpaws are growing fantastic. I will say I support them a little more because they will probably be the quote-unquote cash crops of the farm. Sure. Uh, But uh, I think by volume uh our first year we had the most squash produced it got to the point where my wife was like you're not allowed to plant squash next year I'm I need a hiatus um don't tell her sorry honey if you're listening I've already planted the squash for the year um but yeah I mean for the most part I don't fully ascribe to the Mark Shepard stun method you know sheer total utter neglect I do like to provide some support to the perennials. Uh, But for the most part, you know, we've had a lot of things die. Uh, But for the most part, a lot, we've had a lot more success than I was kind of, uh, you know, I'd never really planted a tree. You know, I'd raised the sears and stuff, but like plants were kind of new. Right. Uh, And so I am happy with the amount of casualties that we've had.
1: That the body counts lower than, uh, than expected.
0: Yes. And then like, right. All the, uh, all the chestnuts had made it even through, uh, what I call the great chestnut incident of 2022. Oh no. So, right. I'd gotten our first chestnuts and right. Like I said, this is gonna be one of the important trees. Uh, like we talked about, they're going to live for centuries. Uh, first trees we planted on the farm. And I planted them uh, mid-April 2022 along our western edge. Um, so, I'm, you know, the long-term goal is to plant these rows of chestnuts in this field and then run the cattle underneath with small electric fence paddocks uh, th- for rotational grazing. So, right, I want to get the trees in first so they can start growing, so the cattle don't tear them up as easily. Um, so I plant, you know, half a row. First chestnut trees on the farm, mid April 2022. Well, our western edge is borders hundreds of acres of conventional industrial agriculture. Um, and this was the year that uh, he had planted, uh, let me recall, it was soybeans in 21. So by the time they harvest, you can't get in a cover crop then. Uh, so, right, weeds and stuff have grown up in it over the winter and spring so they got herbicide but because it's to the west the wind comes through and blows through our land and so we got herbicide drift and right chestnuts have big old leaves and they just caught the herbicide uh and completely defoiled within like three days um and the guy was nice about it he was like i'll, I'll you know burst you and stuff. Uh, and I was like, well, I don't even know if they're dead, you know, they're foiled, but they're not dead. And so I was mm. I was on pins and needles for multiple weeks. Uh but they eventually recovered and they're growing just fine. But like right these were the first trees I planted. And I'm like, ah oh, damn Patrick, you've just killed your whole first set of trees. We've been talking about chestnuts for years. You just killed them all. Uh but thankfully they have recovered. Uh and
1: um, yeah. I'm surprised. I'm surprised they bounced back. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I really didn't know. Uh,
0: Because, uh, like, right, they... When I say they completely defoiled. Uh, So, right, I'm not sure what he used. It was probably some desiccant, because these things dried out to a crisp and, like, fully brown leaves within the week. And, right, this is first week in May at this point. And... They look pathetic, and but I just left them, kept to my watering schedule, and they bounce back. And they're I've been up there; they're budding and growing out leaves this year, so they're fine. Whew.
1: good. Maybe you'll need to plant something in front of those to catch the uh to catch the drift next time. <laughs> so you're so chestnut leaves. So what I did,
0: uh, so they were they grew back with the leaves, but I didn't project them or anything. And the deer around here really like chestnuts. Hmm. Uh, so we got some damage on the bark. Uh, and so this year I went and did uh, three tea stakes around them in a triangle and then wire meshed them. But then I took a piece of plastic uh, you know, like that construction plastic and just did that around the wire mesh and essentially made like a just a very big fat uh like tree tube. Yeah. Right. Uh but in this case like it it's so big that the tree's not touching it or anything. It's just sitting there kinda of in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And so I'm hoping that the mesh will keep the deer out and the plastic will keep any potential herbicides out. Oh, and, uh, okay. For now it's working. Uh, but we'll see, and if not, we will adjust.
1: Nice, that's a good plan. It's a good plan. Um, you had mentioned a cash crop. Now, is that to sell or to eat?
0: Well, I mean, of course, we'll eat some of it. But uh, so, pawpaws in Western Maryland go for like twelve dollars a pound, uh, which is like right. It's a it's a it's a native fruit, but it's like quote unquote exotic. Sure. hard to find. And, uh, like, they sell out. Like, uh, so one of the biggest pawpaw farms in the world, it's a thousand trees. Like, it's an orchard. Uh, It's over in Westminster, Maryland. And I went over uh, to help them with the harvest. Uh, This uh, Davis family, that's what they're called. Uh, And uh, they're well-known through the pawpaw world. I just emailed them. I was like, hey, you need help with the harvest? 'Cause every single pawpaw in the world ripens between the last week of August and the first week of October and it comes quick. And they were like, Yeah. And so I went over and helped them for a couple of days. And right, they got a thousand trees and they they push the trees. Like right there, this is what they do. This is a professional orchard. So I would estimate they probably get forty, fifty pounds of fruit per tree, times a thousand trees, and they they sell it all. Like, they, they have to deny people, and, uh, like, right, they they don't even sell it for as much as they could, uh, but they, they feed a lot of the pawpaw festivals, uh, farmer's markets out in DuPont, Circle, and D.C., apparently you can get pawpaw for $20 a pound, and they sell out every week. Uh, yeah, because it's like a little leash fruit, so if anyone doesn't know what the pawpaw is, it it's North America's largest native fruit. Uh, the eastern United States is the only place it grows, from the shoreboard to about you know eastern Kansas and then North Georgia up to Toronto. Tastes like a combination of a banana and a mango. Uh, that seems pretty good. Real, yeah, real. It, it depends on the cultivar. So it, it's like uh it's like apples. They have different cultivars. Uh, so something like a Shandoah is a very big fruit, very soft and banana-y, while something like a Allegheny is smaller fruit and more mango and a little more fern. Um, so there, there's some variants. But, right, it's it's a very unique flavor, very unique fruit. Uh, and, yeah, so, like, they they sell completely. Hmm. Uh, so, right, I'm not i don't care about the economics of the farm right my wife and i have day jobs that's sure how we're funded uh you know this is like i said it's just i can't imagine living in any way i do it just because i want it. but you know if there's an easily grown you know something that can bring some income to fund my crazy ideas you know and it the fruit rice could you know might as well plant a couple of them uh so we will be uh, we're getting ten more trees in June, so we'll be up to twenty pawpaws by midsummer.
1: Wow! So, what's some you mentioned? You mentioned some failure stuff that you screwed up. Uh, let's hear. Let's hear some of those. What's what has it worked so far, or yet? I guess.
0: So, like, right? We were just talking about the tea stakes from the chestnut. Mm-hmm. So, when I did that this year, I reasoned that I want the Two So, right, three T-stakes is a triangle. I want the base of the triangle, the two T-stakes, on the wind side because, you know, that would be two more strong. Well, I have come to learn that that was the opposite of what you want. You want the one T-stake on the wind side so, like, it cuts. The break, like, the ships by. Yeah. And so uh, I had two friends come over, and we planted all this year's chestnuts, and right, we tea staked them, um, did the mash, did plastic, and then that night, might have been the next day, it was within forty-eight hours, we get like a freak storm with sixty-mile-hour wind gusts, and yeah, it would have been nice to have that front tea stake cutting through that wind, because uh, a couple t-stakes got you know pushed apart and torn out. Jeez, I, I had to go and you know. Uh, you know, there was no damage to any trees. There was like no, it, you know, I probably made it sound worse than it was, but you know, I just had to go and make some adjustments. But you know, right? I learned a lesson. Now you want the one, t- the point of the triangle pointing towards the wind. Um, you know what else? Uh, well, you know, protect. Think about the herbicides that can drift. Um. Uh, I mean I've killed so many plants uh again I, I acceptable number of casualties, but like half my hazelnuts died the first year. don't know why we're still gonna plant more uh even this year, I got got a little frisky and put some plants outside, you know, we were getting some warm weather, and then we had late frost, and they all died, damn um, a. a a lot of times it's biting off more than I can chew. You know, I I laid some mats down, uh or tarps, uh, in like December, January to make a new garden bed. And uh uh David Yonder on Twitter, or yonder David forget, he was like, That's probably gonna attract the owls. and I was like, Well, we'll see. Attracted a ton of the owls. They like burrow what they? in my plum trees, roots. What, what, what did it attract? Vowels, like little field mice. Oh. But they're not, they're not, uh, they're not must like lab mice or like house mice. Uh, I forget the, the scientific name of vowels, uh, but yeah, they're field mice. They, they okay. look just like mice, but they don't have as much of a tail. Uh, I guess they're a little thicker, Um. Uh, But yeah, they just burrowed all under those uh, mats, like tear out the soil, pooping everywhere, got up in the plum trees roots, got up in the peach trees roots. So then I had to go and buy uh, like this, uh, it's called Val Scram. It's like uh, just uh, like lemon oil, castor oil, thyme oil, rosemary oil, like all the pungent stuff because they have very sensitive nose. Like, right then then I gotta spread this stuff around the entire area. you gotta do it. They say you know weekly for a little bit and then sure. monthly make them get in and out. but it's just like every day is an adventure. Uh, I think I wasted a whole bunch of pastor scene this year uh so uh previous when we bought this house, uh, the previous owner was like this little old lady you know, but right, it was getting on time where, you know, she couldn't take care of the place anymore. Um, uh, but for the previous, you know, probably decade or so, she'd been renting out one of our fields to the neighbor. And, you know, he asked me what I was planning to do with it that first year. And I just told him like, right, this was February 22 and Russia, Ukraine had just happened. And they were talking about wheat shortages and all that. Yeah. And I already had enough to do with the rest of my acreage. So I was like, you don't have to rent it. Just, you know, do whatever you got to do in it. You know, take the acreage, use it. Uh, But this year I took it back. And so, right, he had, uh, it was corn last year. So he had tilled it uh, and he, it was just dirt. And then, so I want to plant, you know, I'm going to do the cattle. So I got this pasture seed mix from some company and so. I'm out there hand seeding it. Uh, we, we have a little like roller seeder, but it was, it got clogged or something. so I was just grabbing out of the bag. Oh, man. And we were spreading hay. And it was supposed to rain like that weekend. And then it didn't. And then it didn't rain for like 10 days. And now it, I think the seed's probably all dead. So that whole field needs will eventually need to be reseated again. Uh, but yeah, every, every day is an adventure. You know, there's as much failure as there as success, but that's, you know, I kind of like that. You know, my day job is as a scientist. I like figuring things out, tinkering, uh, learning along the way, uh, right? You know, life yeah. is not perfect. Everything's not going to go your way, uh, but you just got to keep
1: on keeping on, as I say. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to look at it. So uh, the time is the time has been short, but what would you say the biggest challenge in homesteading is that you face so far?
0: Same challenges, anything, same constraints as anything. Time, money, labor. Uh, There's always something to do. Uh, Just the the list keeps on getting longer. Uh, One quote, uh, Albert Camus in his diary at one point uh, wrote something like, "Uh -uh. people say I do a great deal. I feel like I do nothing at all. I feel like I'm on this perpetual treadmill where I always got something to do. Uh, And of course, we just added a daughter to the mix uh i said i work full time uh we got a dog like it's it's juggling of so many things but Mm -hmm. you know it's a good juggle like like i said i it's chaos but it's fun it's rewarding i can't imagine doing anything else
1: yeah as part of um trying to figure out all the pieces right because it's like a it's like a system well your your family and your and your daughter like that's part of your system right so now you have to figure out when you have to go outside to do something how do you fit her into the mix and so like so like we we're saying like i took yesterday off um off of work but i still had uh holes to dig for the trees that i ordered from Coldstream farm they get here tomorrow and I'm like I've got 10 holes to dig what up like how am I gonna get this done I ended up taking like the day off but I still felt kind of crummy but like my wife was running some errands <clears throat> and so I'm like trying to juggle the two kids like okay what am I gonna have my son do while I'm doing this like what am I like is like does does my daughter need a diaper change when did like what time is it what is she, when does she need to eat so I'm like juggling all these little parts and pieces while still trying to dig holes and um thankfully it wasn't too uh mentally like consuming so i could still like keep an ear out keep an eye out and uh still make sure that they're not uh they're not getting into something that they shouldn't get into while uh while i'm just throwing a shovel in the in, in the ground so oh yeah like right you you gotta develop that
0: uh Dad, sense of just like where they are, what are they doing? Uh, you know, I take, a, I take our coon hound out of the farm with us, and he's usually a pretty good boy, but he does have a penchant for trouble. Uh, and you know, get you just got to develop that sixth sense of you know, what is blue doing? Uh, and then soon it will be complicated with Valentine, but uh, yeah, so your, your son is older, so has he uh started to be of some help? or show interest in the farm?
1: Yeah. Uh, last year when we were, man, this is so awesome. This is such an awesome dad moment. Uh, we're we're moving plants from inside to outside. We're transplanting them. And so I was constantly going in and out, in and out. And without even asking I I get to the back door and there he is waiting for me with a plant in his hand. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. I was so excited. He just, whatever dad's doing, uh, whatever mom's doing, he just wants to be a part of it. And so if you're just, if you're just working, like, yeah, their attention spans are kind of short and they get kind of bored or they don't find it that interesting. Like that's fine, but they'll do it for a second. Like I was, um, we were, we were throwing a mix of native soil and some, some good compost from last year in the holes to plant the trees. And so he would take this little garden trowel and put it in the wheelbarrow where all the mix was and then dump it in the hole Do it, and just, he did that a couple times and they just ran off to go do something else. And like, that's fine. So, I mean, he played along for a little bit and wanted to go, I don't know whatever he was doing throw rocks at something so oh yeah you know i uh
0: one of the many reasons that like you know i kind of wanted to get back to a farm is because as like growing up on a farm like i can't imagine like not being able to like run around and like just get into trouble like Mm -hmm. not like nothing severe but just doing kid stuff you know like uh my brother and I built, like, a multi-story, like, hunting stand, like, just up in some trees in the back, I, you know, we used to jump off, uh, grandma and granddad's milk bar, like, they had this little, like, uh, cabin area that was, Mm -hmm. like, probably eight foot off the ground, like, right, we're just, you know, going out there, jumping off that, like, digging holes, and, like, building a rock wall, and, like, doing trench warfare with our cousin just you know just and right when we pissed our parents off they're just like go outside run just don't come back till dinner and like right you just get into so many shenanigans uh so like i can't wait to see what valentine how many headaches she causes me to have fight fighter on the farm but like i know it's just gonna be the best for
1: her yeah they uh when they're outside with you, doesn't matter what you're doing. It it could be work. You could just be like dinking around, uh, picking up sticks. There there's always like something to learn. Um, like we we found uh, I was moving a pile of brush and and there was I'm like, there's probably going to be mice under here. Can you watch real close and see if, like, let me know if there's a mouse. So so I start moving the pile and he goes, There's a mouse. And I'm like, I didn't see it, but you know, point to where you saw it. And so he like points, and I'm like, Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That looks like uh, kind of like a mouse hole. And so I just keep moving it and it runs out and runs away. And I go, I bet there's I bet there's baby mice in here. And so we carefully like move it, and there's like a bunch of little like baby mice, and <laughs> and so he goes, what are, like, you know, he's watching them. And I'm like, daddy's going to have to go, like, move these. Unless I said I have to go take care of them. <laughs> and, and, I like, uh, he wasn't watching. I made sure he wasn't watching. But I uh, I smashed them. And I gave them, and I threw them to the chickens. And he goes, what? where'd they go? I said, I just had to put them somewhere else. <laughs> and, and so, okay, fast forward, uh to last weekend my parents are here and we're we're moving another brush pile and sure enough there was another mouse there and so like but i was careful about this one i i caught it under under my boot but i didn't like i didn't kill it or anything like that i just like had it pinned so he could like take a look at it well I, i picked my boot up so he could like see it just run away And, uh, cause I wasn't going to like, he was staring right at it. I wasn't going to smash it right in front of him. So so what does he do? He takes his boot and smashes it. (laughs) I don't even know where he would have like found that. I don't know. Maybe he was trying to be gentle like I was, but screwed it up. I don't know. But yeah, he, uh, that was, I found that really funny that I'm, I'm trying to be so careful and he just goes and like stomps it and, but I did tell him, like, mice have disease. That's why we don't pick them up and uh, stuff like that. So maybe maybe he had it in him, like, we can't have these here. Yeah. I mean, like, it's it's little stuff like that,
0: though, like, right? We talk about, like, oh, you want to learn about, like, science but and practical skills. And, like, this is where it mm-hmm. like, homesteading or land stewardship just, like, makes so much sense to me. Like, right, you can... You know, in the same day, you can, like, have your kid, like, learn about, like, a mouse and, like, what it does in that environment and, like, what life it supports, you know? Like, right, the hawk eats it, then the hawk poops out, like, this nutritious fertilizer Mm -hmm. over your land, you know, wherever you want to go for it. But the same day, like, right, you could teach them how to drive a tractor or, or, like, do some woodworking, Uh, like, right, when it came to my time to get my driver's license, like, past testifying colors because i've been driving gators and tractors and you know farm trucks like my whole life at. and then when we got the high school biology class and you know learn about reproductive system like right my dad's been doing embryo transfer with me i used to be like holding the luteal in the gnrh and pulling out the syringe like when he's doing herd check it's like oh i know what gonadotropin is i know what estrus is and all this stuff uh, like it's just such a being on some land and just you know observing it, being part of it, uh, I like really just taking it seriously uh, and trying to understand it—it's just you know the best learning opportunity. And so like I'm I'm glad that I'm able to provide that for my kid, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Like there's
1: just, yeah, it's the best. Yeah, it kind of goes back to something you said at the beginning where you're like go homestead you want to do this go homestead you want to do that go to homestead it, like it serves multiple roles for the family unit
0: yeah and that's why like i say like it's just like i can't imagine doing any way oh you want to eat like you want to support like local food systems you want to know where your food comes from go ahead go go homestead have a garden oh like you know you want to like leave something of value for your kids okay we'll go out home build it like it's it fulfills check so many boxes that it just i can't imagine not doing it and it, it doesn't have to be 12 acres doesn't have to be 100 acres like right i always tell people like if you go out and grow one tomato plant on your balcony you're growing more than probably 50 60 percent of people like Just the simple act of moving from a pure consumer to a producer. And it doesn't even have to be, like, plants or animals, like, right? Even if it's just, like, you know, knitting sweaters from, like, a local yarn produced with local sheep. Uh, Woodworking, you know. Butchering, like, blacksmithing, you know. Whatever, like, practical skill, stewardship just, like, taking responsibility over, like, your local system of material and community, uh, whatever it is, like, right, it it doesn't matter. As long as you're going out, trying to do well by your family, your community, whether it's a little garden or a huge farm, like, that's the right step.
1: And it that kind of ties in into... Energy flows, too. So, I mean, it, it's all about, like, the little things. So, reducing your waste stream as well. Um, we have we have a chicken bucket. All Anything that can go to the chickens goes in there. Not all the stuff, like, they can eat. Like, I mean, yeah, like a steak bone, they can pick off uh, all the meat and scraps, like, stuff that I can't get. Um, but the bone, they're not going to eat that, but it goes, it ends up in the compost pile at the end of the year and broken down. Um, and then we have like stuff that we can burn just like paper or whatever. And then the rest is like garbage, like diapers and stuff that like bottles that you can't like, we don't, we don't have like recycling here for whatever reason too costly probably. Um, but just stuff that we can't, we can't use here, but the paper I suppose, like, you could soak it and, like, get it wet and throw it in, uh, throw it in garden beds and, um, and do, do something else with it. I guess you could, like, shred it also, throw it, throw it in, the in the chicken coop. You know what? That's a good idea. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to get a paper shredder and start shredding that stuff. Yeah. But, uh, we, we, had- we go through a lot of it. We go through, we got, I don't know, there's always something coming in the mail, so.
0: Oh, yeah. so My wife, uh, she works in, like, the medical industry, and so because of HIPAA, we have to have a pe- paper shredder so that she can shred all of her stuff, and I throw that all, you know, I go and get some, uh, horse manure from, a uh, horse farm up the road, you know, nice, you know, nice nitrogen source. Mine mm-hmm. was wood chips, that shredded paper, mowed grass, all of our kitchen scraps and stuff, uh... But yeah, you like, uh... so I'm going to say something that's going to be real obvious once I say it. It's going to make me kind of stupid. Every single atom that is on Earth has always been on Earth and like, will be on Earth. You know, we occasionally get a little comet or asteroid in. We send some satellites up. But like for the most part, everything that's here is here. There's not mm-hmm. any more of it. And so when you're trying to think about nutrition and fertility, you know, you have to think about every single element. Uh, you know, you get carbon from the air, you get oxygen from the air. Hydrogen is like the little currency that's everywhere. But everything else, like magnesium, phosphorus, nitrogen, like if you're making 10 pounds of food and send it into the market, well that's 10 pounds of material that you gotta get back on your farm. Sure. Uh, like the simplest uh probably the one that uh is most known to people is like right chickens eat their own eggs because like right that's a good calcium source. Mm-hmm. But like if you're selling eggs at the market, you know, however many pounds of egg cells that you export out of your farm, you know, you gotta think about getting that calcium back. Or else your eggshells or your chickens are going to slowly erode. So it's you really have to pay attention to the the flows of yeah, that's area. the point like where where am I getting phosphorus where am I getting nitrogen, calcium magnesium the only things you're getting for free are uh, carbon oxygen, hydrogen and you'll get a little bit of nitrogen if you plant a lot of legumes like your uh, aren't your uh, Siberian pea shrubs legumes
1: yeah I think they are technically yeah yeah but yeah it's like uh
0: you think about that just like you know long term like this is where like the industrial agriculture you know kind of messes up like they live for the current harvest and there's a lot of reasons for that you know the structure of our agricultural system messed up in a lot of ways it's tough being a farmer like you really do live season to season and you know But when you're thinking about long-term fertility, you have to think about these flows of material. Like, if you're not keeping, like we said earlier, if you're not keeping enough calcium into your chicken coop, well, you're not going to get eggs. And then multiply that by, you know, every single element, or at least the 26 natural elements. Yeah,
1: you... It also works with building materials too. So I'm sure everyone's uh, sick of hearing about my, about my rocks that I have on the property. Like I'm just gathering all these rocks. When I dig a hole, it's more or less 50% rock. Um, I'm not even kidding. I did. I I, I measured it by volume, like this whole thing, blah, blah, blah. And so like, what am I going to do with all this rock? Well, I could just like put it in a pile somewhere on the property or I could use it as a resource like a building material. So I'm like, I'm making like this thing, like it's kind of like a retaining wall and then like tiered up the side of the house. And then I'm going to have this other retaining wall and blah, blah, blah. So like I'm using fencing that I found at the dump when I was, uh, getting rid of a bunch of, uh, building materials that I couldn't use is completely full of nails. Um, I brought, I brought this fencing back and I'm making like like a U shape to hold it all together. And I've got like some tie wire like in between to make sure the sides don't don't whatever. But I'm putting all the rock in there and putting it where I want it instead of just leaving it in a pile, just not doing anything. So now it's now it's another resource.
0: Yeah, it's like, you know, I try and save everything on the farm. You know, not like a... Like a uh, experience the Great Depression, like saving tea bags. Though I guess I do save tea bags as I put them in a compost pile. But like right when I did, we have a big rock pile. We have a lumber pile. Uh, like we have a log pile. Like just again, I, I probably do sound like one of those Great Depression lunatics, uh, hoarders or stuff. But uh, hey, they I survived. It is, it is, I don't sure. know what's wrong with that. Well, I mean i i don't have brought with it i do it but some people might think that but like you said you know that rock can be a retaining uh so like that 600 square foot uh garden that i turned up like right i i lined it with uh you know a couple trees the edges i lined it with a couple trees that i down last year plus some like old beat up lumber uh just to like kind of make nice edge uh uh In fact, the, the very first garden bed I made last year, the previous owner had a burnt pile and, uh, you know, she had lined the outside of it with cinder block and it was a couple up and she had a grate. So like it would burn nicely. Um, one of the first things I do, cause I'm not trying to like burn stuff, uh, unless I have to, is I just disassembled it and I took all the cinder block and moved it over and right, laid down cardboard, uh, in the middle of that, threw some soil, some wood chips in there. That was the first garden bed, just reusing that cinder block as the edge. Right? And Maybe a lot, maybe a lot of people would be like, what are we going to use this ton of cinder block for if not burnt pile, I promise you, there is always a use. You just got to be a
1: little creative. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, So... What would you tell people that would want to get started in homesteading? Nike. Just do it.
0: Just do it. You know, like like we said earlier, if it even is just a single herb garden and like a windowsill, if you're growing something, you're already growing more than the vast majority of Americans. Like, right? And just go from there. Like, Rome wasn't built in the day, as they say. You just got to slowly add to it, learn by experience, read, watch YouTube, listen to podcasts. You know, I firmly believe that, you know, most people can do just about anything. Like, great, right, maybe you won't be a U.S. Senator or like an astronaut or something. But if you want to go out in like have a, an acre garden, I believe you can do that. I believe, you know, you can have influence in your community. You can, you know, teach your kids a brand new subject um like so you know i work as a scientist uh like a biomedical engineer for a big pharmaceutical company i never took a biology class in college uh i was uh, a chemistry philosophy major uh but like right i needed a job to like pay for my books and stuff and pad out my resume because that's what college kids do and there was this immunology lab uh and, you know, I applied for it, I got the internship. Uh, and, like, right, I went up to the the head of the lab, you know, this big scientist. And, you know, I'm like, what, what's your, how do I learn immunology? And, you know, he he's like, immunobiology by Charles Janeway. And I look it up and it's this like textbook. So I, I just bought it and I read it. And, like, right, it wasn't fun. Like, I had to do it in front of my schoolwork or or along with my schoolwork. And, like, I was taking notes on it and studying it. And, like, right, I just learned it. Any subject that you want, like, it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. Like, no one's saying it's easy. You want to learn about geology? Go to your local library. Watch some YouTube videos. You want to learn about veterinary care? Go to the library. Talk to them watch some youtube videos i if you're listening to this you can learn anything you want you know maybe not like you know quantum mechanics or something but just about anything like just go and do it again might not be easy it might take a long time but like most of us are just learning along the way
1: anyways right so join us yeah don't be afraid to fail yeah
0: like right like like right, I go into this immunology lab and like start asking questions. Like, of course, I'm an idiot. Like, I'm the little college student that's like trying to learn. But like, people are helpful. Like, if you're if you show an honest interest mm. and you're just like a nice person, like people are so helpful. Like, I I don't know. I guess maybe if I racked my brain, I probably could call in but. For the most part, if you're just, like, have integrity and, like, look people in the eye, give them a firm handshake, and, like, show an honest interest, like, you can accomplish so much in this life. Like, I said with the pawpaw thing, I just emailed. I was like, hey, can I come help you? Like, I read about you in this book about pawpaws, and I know there's a big harvest. Like, can I come help? And they were like, yeah. And now I'm friends with these people. And, like, I'll really go out and help them with the harvest again yeah
1: right right just a quick email is all you need yeah i uh i just made a phone call yesterday about uh i want to go to this guy's place and take a tour of his pig farm ask him all the questions right uh try to do a little bit more on-site stuff but what i what i said was like you know to attempt to compensate you for your time i I want to give you a hand like put me to work um, because I want to I want to learn but I also want to get you a little bit you know I want to help you out too not just like suck up your time your energy right just time energy and money right that's what it was yeah <laughs> yeah I don't want to be a I don't want to be a drain on his on his uh time and his and his labor I want to be able to at least make up for it, break even, if not being a little bit of the green, so.
0: Yeah, and like, again, as long as you're putting in the work, like, looking people in the eye, be, being honest, having integrity, people will help you, people will respect you, people, like, right? we, we only have civilization, yada, 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 because we are social creatures, mm-hmm. we are naturally helpful to one another like we all want each other's success you know there's some misanthropes and psychopaths out there but 99 percent of people are uh, good honest hard-working people as they say and yeah. if you take an interest in whatever it is that community
1: will help you i i believe that agreed was there was there anything that we didn't cover that uh you wanted to mention, or did we pretty much cover everything?
0: I mean, I don't think we covered everything. We could probably keep on talking for a long time. You probably could. Uh, I want to hear more about Montana. Because, uh, you know, I'd never really been, Uh except for that one drive through. and And it's just fascinating out there. Like, again, intellectually, we were there in June. You know, I understood that the sun... Is in the sky for a very long time. But then I'm like, right, we got a little, like, cabin-type thing outside of Mm -hmm. West Glacier. And I'm sitting on the little porch, and it's, like, 11.15. And, like, the sun's still kind of in the sky. And I'm just, like,
1: mind-blown. Bone 15 at night? It was something. Like, it was firmly in the double
0: digits and like the sun had not fully set and i was right this is this is wild
1: i can't remember i i forgot to look it up you just reminded me there was a scientific reason so like it's known as big sky right big sky country there's a scientific reason why that the sky looks bigger here it's something to do with like the the altitude or that which we're at or the latitude longitude something but the I don't know I can't remember but uh, I heard like a little quick blurb about it but forgot to look it up but it's uh moving here from Minnesota's it's like it's like easy uh Minnesota's humid so like the like a negative 20 degrees here negative 20 degrees in Minnesota is like way different the humid like the humidity, when it's cold, really hurts. Um, you're like you get step outside and like, man, that's, man, that's cold. But if you're like you, the whole you know, why do I live in a place that, where well, the air hurts my face? Like that's Minnesota. That's for sure, Minnesota. And then also in the summer, it's the opposite, right? You're just like, Ugh, I'm all, I'm all sticky. It's gross. It's just, <laughs> excuse me. It's just dry heat here i mean it'll it'll knock you out uh if you if you don't take care of yourself but yeah it's just it's super dry makes uh well wa- i mean because it's dry water's an issue too right and so we don't have any um there's no there's no real water on the property other than rain um and so we're gonna we're working on doing some rain catchment off the house. And the long-term plan is to put in a pond somewhere. I think we have a good spot for it. But then also because water's a limited resource now, we only have the one well that feeds the house. We have to plant that hedgerow in sections. So I've got only 30, what did I say? Like a total of something like 30 plants in the back there that are going going up. That covers a hundred and twenty feet. I don't know. They're every five they're five feet apart. I can't remember what the distance is, but I have about four hundred feet to cover linearly. And so it's going to take a couple of years to get all that going. So I'm going to get this first batch established. And then next year, I'm going to plant another batch. And then the year after that, plant another batch to not eat up all the resources at once. So that was, that was yeah, the plan was- given to me. That was
0: one of the real surprising things as, you know, order raised on the East coast. And then we moved West, you know, it's like a, uh, I think it's like the 98th meridian. Like you can see it on a map, Google. It. Yes. You hit that line and it, it goes from green to brown. Mm-hmm. And it's just like everywhere west of that, water is the limiting reagent on everything. Yeah, um, Like it's just like, right, you hear uh, about all the states along the Colorado River just like fighting about water rights and stuff and that's just because like it like right everyone knows like you can last three days without water and like other than oxygen it's it's the source of life and yeah out west just like right we're we we have humid summers here in maryland and then right we move out to la and it's like i i don't think i sweat for like like unless i was exercising for like all six years because like right it's just a uh, a arid heat like sure. it sure evaporates so quickly, but like, like you said, there's no there's not that moisture buffer in the air, like, you don't get, um, at least like in like, right in LA, you know, it won't rain for like eight months. Like, I imagine you guys get a little more rain from that, and you have more snowpack, yeah, anywhere out west, like, water is what you're constantly fighting against.
1: Where I'm at. Our uh, annual precipitation is, like, 15 to 20 inches a year.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Like, you guys are in the mountains, but, like, same rough latitude as Gabe Brown, and I think that's what, like, he got over in North Dakota. Sure. Like, right? That, that was one of the reasons, like, he got to regenerate agriculture, because there's, like, all this all these, like, irrigation tiles and stuff, just, like, shouldn't water during these hard rains. Like, we got to... Yeah. Build up this hummus in the soil so that, like, it can infiltrate. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, there was a. Have you ever read the book uh, Cadillac Desert by Mark Reznor? No. The name sounds familiar. It's like this. It's like this, five hundred fifty thick book, small print. All about his. It's all about the history of water in the western half of the United States, hmm. and that sounds, like, really lame probably to 99% of people, but I promise you it's like much more entertaining than you think it is. Like sure. I, I learned so much from that book. And like, he talks about all the dams, like all the major rivers, like the history of the fighting, like, you know, how, like, uh, who was it? I think it was Maholland got like, uh, the water to Los Angeles that made Los Angeles possible. Mm. Uh, like all the power plants that we built on the Snake River, I think it was. Uh, I I remember, I could be misquoting this, it was something like uh, we built via the dams on the Snake. Pretty sure it was a Snake. Uh, They generated more power in like their first year of operation than all of the Axis powers generated throughout all of world war ii like like right i mean because right the the rivers out west are like of course the mississippi gets all the play because, like right it's the biggest but like the colorado uh the snake the one that runs through oregon like those are big powerful rivers like yeah it it's it's not like uh the susquehanna or the potomac which are like major rivers but like they don't generate the type of force that those rivers get from the snowpack out in the
1: Sierra Nevadas and Colorado. Right, like, uh, but yeah, fascinating book, Cadillac Desert. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to look that one up. I'm gonna write that
0: down. And if uh, you like fiction, there's a, uh, there's like a neo noir, like sci fi crime drama called The Water Knife by Paulo. Lagucciano or something. Uh that one this guy's like a uh he's like a bounty hunter for like these well like business lords uh but it's in like a semi-futuristic United States but water has gotten so scarce in the west that like that is the money. Like that mm. is the gold. Like everything's about water rights. And like right it's like a neo-noir sci-fi Sure. It's just, like, real interesting, like, especially, like, when you read the news about all these states, like, fighting over water rights and stuff. You're like, oh, are we getting uh, a little close to this novel? Maybe a little
1: too close? Right. Yeah. I think the they say the first recorded murder in Montana was over water. Really? hmm Wow. Yeah.
0: yeah. Like, again, like, out west, like... It's all about water. That's your limiting reagent.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, man, uh, it's getting late for both of us. So, you want to tell people where uh, where they can find you? They can. You have a Substack, right? Tell them about yeah. your Substack. Uh, so the, the Substack is uh,
0: thecounterpoint.substack.com. I write about anything that comes across my mind. Not as much as I'd like, uh, but I'm trying to get back into it after, you know, settling into life with the newborn and stuff. Uh, and then the only other place is on Twitter, at Patrick Heiser. I, I don't have any other social medias, just uh, Twitter and the Substack.
1: I like the Substack. I was I was uh, quickly browsing uh, your, your master plan for your property. It kind of lays out a couple of specific details that we that we covered today as well, but a little bit, a little bit more uh, visual and some diagrams and stuff. So that was nice. Yes. If you
0: can tolerate my terrible Microsoft paint edits, uh, there are pictures on that. And I invite anyone to, you know, comment on it, critique it. Like, you know, I'm a scientist by trade. I'm whole name of the game in science is do your work, publish it as detailed as possible and like get, get it critiqued by the entire scientific community uh and so like right i've i take that same approach with my farm like i i don't know what i'm doing really when it comes down to it like i'm constantly reading watching youtube mm-hmm. scrolling on twitter uh talking to people like yourself and other people on quote, unquote, agriculture twitter because I, I don't know what i'm doing i'm trying to learn and improve and so, like, right, if you see something, if you think that you can improve that plan,
1: you see something wrong with it, please let me know. Like, I, I want it to I be agree, better. I agree, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Like, hey, I'm I'm only thinking what I, I don't know what I don't know, right? So please, please help me.
0: Yes, please, please help. And if uh, you or anyone that seems ever in your manual, you know, Come on by, stop at the door. If it's in pawpaw season, I'll get you some
1: pawpaw. Chestnut season, we'll get you chestnuts. That sounds great, man. It was really nice meeting you. Yeah, great talking with you. Uh, and yeah, looking
0: forward to see uh, what we build on our respective lands over the coming years.
1: Yes, yes. Keep keep taking pictures. We need that recording. So uh, see see how far we've come, right?
0: Like I said, I don't have Instagram or anything else. So, like, I, I just put it all on Twitter. Pictures, everything. Uh, and, yeah, like, it it will be... I'm certain, you know, there's that old adage. Uh, you know, you underestimate... Or no, you overestimate what you can do in a year. You underestimate what you can do in a decade. And even though I feel perpetually behind, like, I'm really in this second growing season, I'm really starting to, like see what consistent work at one project over a long time and can possibly do it's still very much a work in progress but like i'm starting to see it and that's really rewarding
1: yeah yeah it just just takes patience that's all but hey i uh i appreciate you and your time uh and i appreciate everybody everybody for listening so have a good night patrick Yes, you too, man. Thank you. I am Matt DeRozier of Farm Hop Life. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to subscribe and visit farmhoplife.com.
2: Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Left family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a host and a homestead Thinking this was the life, all that there'd be After our first born, you had to stay home That's when the work got in the way for me Well, I started farm half life Welcome to your farm to Back in an RV, send us a message and <sniffs> there